We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, J.D. Greer says that the church should be the safest place for those that desire to do things that are unbiblical. And there's a Southern Baptist Theological Seminary professor who says that temptation to do something, dwelling on it, thinking about it, is not sin. Are these things true? I'll answer these questions and more on today's Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to today's Rebellion. Thanks for listening into the show. Today's topic is, okay, is there a difference between temptation, thinking about something, dwelling on something, lusting for it, coveting it, if you will, and actually doing it? Is there a difference? How do we define these things and on the scale of sin? within the church, within the biblical community? And should we be a safe place for those that are somewhere along this continuum, somewhere along this scale? Is J.D. Greer, the former president of the Southern Baptist Convention, is J.D. Greer right when he says the church should be the safest place for those with homosexual desire? He has said that in a recent sermon, very boldly, very clearly. Is that true? Is that biblical? Is that logical? Does it make sense? Is it consistent with the teaching of the Old Testament and the New Testament? And is it consistent with what you know to be true in your own heart, the truth of God written on every human heart? So, as I said, I'd like to try to answer these questions on today's show. Uh, But let's take an early break, and when I get back, I will play an audio clip for you um, that describes, explains, David Prance, a professor of theology at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, who has recently said that the church needs to stop condemning those people who have thoughts, desires for homosexual sex, that the church has become an unsafe place for these people, and that we are the instruments of Satan for preaching that their desires are wrong. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Let's take a break. I'll be right back in a couple minutes. In 1978, George and Kate Tedford set out to protect Oklahoma businesses better. Today, their son and our CEO, Mark Tedford, is excited to carry on his family's legacy. Professional liability, compliance, property, workers' comp, health and life. Tedford Insurance's dedicated team gives you access to the nation's largest insurance providers, negotiates the best rates, and protects their own legacy like no one else. Call 918-299-2345 or tedfordinsurance.com. The Patriot Auto Group, locally owned and operated. The Patriot family of dealerships takes great pride in supporting the communities we serve throughout the great state of Oklahoma. The Patriot Auto Group's charitable work has been recognized throughout Oklahoma. Whether it's visiting one of our local dealerships or simply shopping and buying online with our doorstep delivery, the Patriot Auto Group takes the stress out of buying a new or used vehicle and 
Every purchase comes with our exclusive peace of mind, Patriot Pledge. You get engines for life, plus one-year maintenance, and 10 full years of roadside assistance, plus so much more. Sure, we can sell you a car, but supporting our community and lending a hand to our neighbors in need? Sold. The Patriot Auto Group. Proud Oklahomans in the communities we serve. Okay, welcome back to The Rebellion. I'm going to start out by playing a very brief clip of an excerpt from a sermon from J.D. Greer. Now, if you're listening and you're not Southern Baptist and you don't know who J.D. Greer is, he's a, one of the big fish in the pond. A big church down in Texas, huge church. A relatively young guy. I assume J.D. Greer is somewhere between 45, 50 or thereabout. Hope I haven't insulted him by suggesting he's older than he is. Um, but that doesn't matter. Well, it matters if I've insulted him unintentionally, but that's not the point. I apologize for that. I'm just trying to tell you that he's relatively young. Um, also, J.D. Greer was the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, and under his leadership, many people felt that the church was going woke. He seemed to have several sermons that were soft on the social issues of our day. And here's one excerpt from a sermon where many, including yours truly, think that he was wrong in what he was saying about sexual desire and the desire to do things, the lusting, the celebration of doing things, the, the defining yourself by these desires. Uh, we feel that he was wrong in what he was saying from the pulpit. So I want you to listen to this. You say you must say I love you more than I love being right and so even if you don't see things my way I'm going to keep bringing you close and I'm going to remain committed to you this is where the Christian community has so badly failed to live out Jesus's ministry the church ought to be the safest place on the planet for a teenager with same-sex attraction to reveal that or to come out because sinners were always safe exposing their hearts to Jesus it does not mean that we consent or agree. It just means we never turn away and we never stop loving and we never stop drawing them close. And we, church, we must be the biggest advocates against, biggest advocates against discrimination and abuse against the gay community. And where we have not church, we must repent. And if some of you have been the victims of that abuse, tragically, often it was done in the name of Jesus. That was not Jesus. That was Satan dressed up in Jesus' clothes because that is not what Jesus was. Okay, so in the words of J.D. Greer, the church ought to be the safest place on the planet for a teenager, I assume anybody else, with same-sex attraction to come out and reveal that. Okay, that's what he said. And then he went on to say this, and I quote, that we, the church, must be the biggest advocates against discrimination against the gay community, close quote. Did you hear that? These are very important words, and I want to pick them apart right now, and I want to do so within the context of another Baptist pastor who's critiquing the words of David Prince, a professor of theology at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. This is Jared Moore. He's a Southern Baptist pastor who put out a podcast recently. Now, I don't have time to read the entire thing to you, or excuse me, have you listened to the entire thing, because it's it's 30 minutes long in and of itself, but I want you to hear the beginning of Jared Moore's commentary with regard to David Prince, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Full disclosure, Jared Prince is also, excuse me, Jared Moore is also a student, a graduate of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, where David Prince teaches. Here you go. 
we're looking at a very important subject, um, how the argument that same-sex attraction is not sin has permeated all of evangelicalism. Uh, particularly, we're looking at the largest denomination, evangelical denomination in the world, Southern, Southern Baptist, and their flagship seminary, one of the professors, longtime professor at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, David Prince, publicly on his website argues unashamedly that same-sex attraction is not sin. And he argues that if you disagree with him and say that same-sex attraction is sin, then you are like Satan, the accuser of the brethren. This is what he says in an article titled, Temptation, sin, temptation, Jesus, sin, and same-sex attraction. He argues, begin quote, Temptation is not the same as sin. Temptation can certainly lead to sin, but maintaining the distinction between temptation and sin is vitally important. Getting this wrong destroys our Christology and creates a culture of unnecessary guilt in the life of a Christian. Now, Jared Moore goes on, uh, like I said, for about 30 minutes to pick apart. This comment by David Prince. So let me say a couple things here to start with. Number one, I agree with Jared Moore. This argument is pervasive within the evangelical church right now. Perhaps the poster child for this entire movement to exonerate people of their desires and basically celebrate the desires rather than call for confession. That's pervasive in the poster child for that right now is the Revoice movement. It's a new movement that celebrates homosexual Christians. It's not my language, but theirs. They celebrate LGBTQIA, self-identified Christians. And these people meet together once a year at conferences to call for the church to stop being bigoted toward our LGBTQ brothers and sisters. Now, if you embrace that idea, I don't want you to get mad and turn me off right now. I want you to listen to the arguments of Jared Moore. I want you to listen to the arguments that come from the Bible, at least Jared Moore and I and several others, from Rosaria Butterfield to Laura Perry to uh, Beckett Cook. The list goes on and on. Those that have come out of the homosexual lifestyle, homosexual choices, homosexual identity, and have claimed Jesus as their identity rather than their own desires, their own covetousness, if you will. And I want you to think about what I'm saying right now in both the context of the Old Testament and the New Testament. So it, let, before I get into that, let's go back to J.D. Greer, however. Answer the question, should the church be the safest place for those that want to come out, come out and identify themselves as members of the homosexual community? That's J.D. Greer's language, not mine. He, that's what he said. The safest place for those teenagers and otherwise who define themselves as members of the LGBTQIA community. Now, you probably know where I'm going to go with regard to the safest place argument. No, it shouldn't. As C.S. Lewis told us in the Chronicles of Narnia and elsewhere, uh, Aslan, the Christ figure, is not safe, but he's good. Again, you've heard me tell this story over and over again. It's why I titled my second book, The Sequel to Not a Daycare. I titled it, Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good. Why? Because we are repeatedly called upon in Scripture to grow up in Christ, to stop drinking milk, and to start eating meat, to recognize 
that life in Christ is not supposed to be safe, but it is supposed to be good. And there's a huge difference between the two things. Safety may make us feel good about where we are, but it's not necessarily what's needed to make us mature. Safety is akin to no tension, no challenge. You're comfortable when you're safe. You don't feel any need to move outside of your given boundaries if you're safe within this comfort zone. And when J.D. Greer or anybody else starts calling for the church to be the safest place for anybody, I don't know, fill in the blank. I don't care what you put in. The safest place for who? For homosexuals? For adulterers? For thieves? For murderers? For gluttons? For those that are greedy? For those that have lust in their heart? For those that covet? For those that hate? Should the church be the safest place for you or for me? If we have any of those desires in our heart, should we feel safe when we come to church? I don't care what denomination. I don't care what particular sect of Christianity you claim to be part of. When you go to church, whether it be on Sunday or whether it be in a Bible study, because the church isn't a building. The church is the body of Christ. The church is the collective group of believers. The church is the bride of Christ. Was the church of Thyatira in Revelation, was it safe? Did it feel safe when Jesus himself wrote a letter in the opening chapters of Revelation to them and called them to repent? Were the other churches in Revelation told to feel safe where you are? You should feel comfortable. You should feel secure. You should feel safe. Don't allow me to challenge you. Don't allow me to make you feel guilty. I want you to feel good. I want you to feel, I think is the key word there. I want you to feel rather than think. No, that isn't the context of Jesus's challenge to the seven churches of Revelation. He calls upon those churches to repent. I'm not sure they felt safe when they were challenged by the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Lion of Judah. C.S. Lewis tells us over and over again in the Chronicles of Narnia and elsewhere, as I just said, that the great lion Aslan isn't safe. Jesus isn't safe. The church, his collective body of believers, the body of Christ, should not be safe. It should be good. And how do you become good? Well, you're not good in and of yourself because none of us are righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you claim to be without sin, you make God out to be a liar. These are quotations from the Bible, folks. And we're also told in the Old Testament, one of the Ten Commandments is not to covet. I've talked about this before. What is coveting? It's thinking in your head that you want something that isn't yours. Coveting, desiring, wanting your neighbor's property. And it actually says your neighbor's wife. Okay, so if you're thinking, if you're coveting, if you're wanting, if you're desiring, if you're dwelling on the fact that you want something that's not yours, what is that? It's the breach of one of the Ten Commandments. It's sin. It's wrong. So when J.D. Greer says that the church should be the safest place for you, if you're coveting, J.D. Greer is wrong. That's unbiblical. If I'm guilty of that, which I have been, and if you're guilty of that, which you have been, sorry to tell you, but you have been guilty of coveting 
as have I. If you've desired something that isn't yours, if it's your neighbor's farm, if it's your neighbor's house, if it's your neighbor's wife or husband, you're coveting, you're desiring things that aren't yours. You're thinking about stuff in your head that's wrong. And Jesus himself says in the New Testament that if you lust in your heart, you're guilty of adultery. If you hate in your heart, you're guilty of murder. So what is Jesus saying? That dwelling on the things that are wrong is akin to doing the things that are wrong. And they're one and the same. You've committed the act if you dwell on it. If you covet, you're guilty of sin. If you desire somebody who's not yours, lust. If you lust after somebody that's not yours, you're wrong. That's an evil thought that is akin to, synonymous with, the evil act itself. If you hate somebody and you dwell on it, you're guilty of murder. So where the church, J.D. Greer on down, is getting it wrong right now is they're allowing people who have covetous thoughts, if you will, to define themselves as the covetous community. And then J.D. Greer is calling upon the church to confess its sins for suggesting that that covetous desire is sin. So you can't tell other people that they're guilty of sin You can't read the Bible to them and say, well, you might want to confess that stuff rather than celebrate it because your communication with the LGBT community that calls for confession rather than celebration, that calls for define yourself by your Lord, not your libido, that says, wait a second, there's nothing in the Bible that says that your identity is the sum total of your inclinations. That's not what we are as a body of Christ. That's not who we are as a church, when you say that to your brothers and sisters that are in the church who are defining themselves by their sexual desires, i.e. LGBTQIA desires, when you say that to them, J.D. Greer is saying, you're wrong, not them. You need to confess for asking them to confess. It's self-refuting. Shouldn't the church be the safest place for you if it should be the safest place for them? If J.D. Greer thinks the church should be the safest place for the LGBTQIA folks to come out and that conservatives should confess their sins of asking the LGBTQIA folks to confess, then isn't it it self-refuting for J.D. Greer to go there? Isn't he making the church unsafe for the conservative when he's condemning the conservative for making it unsafe for the LGBTQ community. And again, I don't want to focus on LGBTQIA here. That's really not the point. The point is, like I said earlier, take out LGBTQIA, homosexual community, whatever you want to call it, the rainbow community. Take the rainbow stuff out and put any other biblical sin in. Should the church be safe for the adulterous community, for the greedy community, for the gluttonous community, for the community that desires to steal? Should it be a safe place for us if those are our desires? If we dwell on those things, if we define ourselves by those desires? I would hope not. I would hope not. I I would hope you would agree with me that if that's your definition, if that desire has become so much a part of your soul, your psyche, your, your very individuality, if those desires define you, 
I would hope that you would agree that when you go to church, somebody should challenge you and say, no, 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 that's not who God created you to be. What you need to do is confess those things, repent of those things, and recognize that all of us, all of us have something in our heart, in our souls, in our minds, that has to be confessed and repented of. And the only way to be born again is to recognize to recognize that it's your obligation that if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us, cleanse us, clean us up of all this unrighteousness. So, now I'm sorry, J.D. Greer has theology degrees that I don't have, but I can read the Bible as can you, and I can use my head and my mind as can you. And it's duplicitous and hypocritical to say that the church should be a safe place for one group of people who defines themselves by their sins and then turn around and make the church unsafe for those of us who raise our hands and say, wait a second, that doesn't sound consistent with the Ten Commandments and it doesn't sound consistent with Jesus' own interpretation of the Ten Commandments when he said, if you lust after somebody in your heart, you've committed adultery. And if you hate someone in your heart, in your mind, then you're guilty of murder. Jesus himself seemed to be saying, don't allow those thoughts to become so much a part of your heart, your mind, your soul, your identity, that they define you. Because when they do, you're guilty of actually doing the thing that you're dwelling on. Let's go back to Jared Moore and his commentary on this issue. In his tweet where he posts this uh, this video that I played for you, this podcast, which I do, don't have the time. And I, I'm not too sure I agree with his distinction between thought and sin as he goes into this. It's challenging. I'm not dismissing it out of hand, but I think he's spot on when he says this. Imagine saying that racist inclinations are not sin, that being inclined to abuse someone is not sin, that pedo attraction is not sin. Being inclined to murder someone is not sin. Being inclined to hate God is not sin. Being inclined to hate my neighbor is not sin. And he concludes in his tweet by saying, this stuff is pure evil. And I think he's got a very legitimate point in that particular tweet when he's challenging David Prince, the SBTS, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary Professor. I'll read that tweet again. Imagine saying racist inclinations are not sin. Being inclined to abuse someone is not sin. Pedo attraction is not sin. Being inclined to murder someone is not sin. Being inclined to hate God is not sin. Being inclined to hate my neighbor is not sin. This stuff is pure evil. Now, you may say, well, just because some... Uh, woman that walks across my path, or if you're a female listening to me right now, some man that walks across my path catches my attention. I, I think to myself, well, they're attractive. Is that sin? Well, I think the distinction here is an age-old admonition I got when I was a kid. You've heard it before. Uh, allowing, excuse me, birds flying around your head is not akin to sin, but allowing them to build a nest in your hair is. And I think that makes a little bit of sense, or not a lot of sense. I mean, you may not be able to stop the birds from flying around your head, but to allow them or invite them to nest in your hair 
and in fact make residence there is that's a decision that you made that's a decision at that point in time where you allowed the the fleeting thought to become resident in your mind your heart and soul is it possible that that's what jesus was referring to when he says lusting in your heart is it possible that that's what moses was referring to when he under the inspiration of god himself gave us the ten commandments one of which is thou shalt not covet thou shalt not desire dwell upon the things that aren't yours oh driving by a neighbor's house and saying man that's a beautiful house i'd like to have one someday that may not be a sin but dwelling upon it and saying i want my neighbor's house defining yourself by that desire is certainly is certainly jumping from an innocent thought to defining yourself actually allowing yourself to be defined by this insatiable desire to have your neighbor's house that's coveting that's a sinful desire that's inviting the birds to land on your head build a nest there and have residence in your brain that's the distinction between a fleeting thought and a sinful desire it's a sinful thought a definitional thought there's a there's a distinction there in that very simplistic analogy metaphor of the difference between allowing birds to fly around your head and actually inviting them to land and build a nest in your hair and have residence in your brain in your mind in your soul and defining yourself accordingly and i would argue the lgbt community argument that jd greer and others fall into it betrays itself because as soon as you define a community by its sinfulness by its desires you have committed a grievous sin against that community because you've now softened their conscience you've made them think that it's okay to define ourselves as an adulterous community a gluttonous community a murderous community a greedy community a gay community what's the difference none of this should be part and parcel of the discussion of the church and we should not be a safe place for those that define themselves and celebrate their gluttony or their greed or the fact that they're tempted and they desire gay sex as opposed to heterosexual sex the church should not be safe i was talking to somebody recently just yesterday who told me that there's a woman in his church that is leading a ministry that is known to be having sex with multiple men within that church now how do you feel about that should the church be a safe place for that woman or for those men for that matter no are they welcome to attend and hear a sermon that calls for confession yes should they hear about the need to repent yes should they know that their actions as well as their thoughts are sinful yes should they be made to feel comfortable in any of this any of this stuff no they shouldn't feel safe if you and i are engaged in that kind of stuff i don't want you to feel safe and nor should you want me to feel safe you should want me to experience salvation and sanctification i should be challenged to set the old things 
behind me. Behold, the old is gone, the new has come. You are a new creation in Christ. That's what Paul talks about in Corinthians. So this story that I heard just yesterday of this woman that's engaged in sex with multiple men within the church, and yet the pastor is not confronting it, and it's well known within the church. There's a problem here, folks. That church is too safe. That church is not focused on salvation or sanctification. That church is not elevating holiness. It's turning a blind eye to thoughts that are wrong as well as overt behaviors that are wrong. So in summary, as I wrap up today's show, the church should not be safe. The church should be good. And the only way the church can be good is to recognize that you're defined by God, not your gut, not your libido, but by your Lord. And J.D. Greer calling for safety, uh, that's wrong. Sacrilege? I don't know. But it's dead wrong. And David Prince suggesting that our thoughts, our thought life should not be confessed? Eh, That's wrong too. Don't let the birds land in your hair and build a nest. Because that's coveting and that's wrong. I'm Dr. Everett Piper. This is The Rebellion.